Entertainment Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Gone are the days where you need 11 people and a Las Vegas casino to pull off a large heist. Now everything you need to get cash from a bank into your hands can be done by sitting behind a computer. I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast. In this episode, we ask how, in 2016, a mysterious fraud syndicate were able to steal $80 million from Bangladesh's central bank and uncovered a weakness in a payment system that moves millions of transactions around every day. Not only that, but they managed to get away with it. Today, I have with me James Richardson, Head of Market Development for Fraud and Risk at Bottomline Technologies. Hello, James. Hi, Rich. James, it really was one of the biggest heists of its kind, sending the media into an absolute frenzy. So I think before we begin, it's important for us to understand how the hackers managed to infiltrate the Bangladesh bank and not only managed to successfully move $80 million, but to not get caught in the process. Absolutely. So if you look at actually what's happened, and we'll go into kind of how in a moment, this is a highly customised cyber fraud. There's no two ways about it. This this isn't something that um, an organisation would have considered for a month. This would have taken a significant amount of time to plan and then execute. And you have to, if I if I use these words, applaud the execution of the fraudsters um, as to how they went about this. So you're not talking about an organisation that go in guns are blazing into a bank, those days are gone. This was looking at how you can exploit the weaknesses of a central bank, and in this case, the Bangladeshi central bank. So um, how they started off? Well, it's believed that this was using malware that was largely, that was most likely from an email that went to an employee. And its purpose was very specific. And I used the word highly customized earlier, and I would keep using that. It was customized to understand what printers the organizations were using. It was customized to understand what swift connectivity and local infrastructure they are using. But it started with this malware. It started with an employee opening something that perhaps they shouldn't have. And then it was just a question of timing. It was waiting for the very specific moment that these fraudsters wanted to execute the frauds. And they waited for a very specific weekend around the 4th of February 2016, deliberately because it was around a long weekend. The frauds themselves uh, would have involved started sending funds, to, started sending requests to withdraw funds from New York and send them on to Philippines and Sri Lanka. Malware itself, as I mentioned earlier, would have stopped the printer from working and it kept the fraudsters hidden, which is exactly what they're interested in doing. The initial reports mentioned that the fraudsters tried to move more than $1 billion. Is that correct? Absolutely. A billion dollar fraud heist. So the, the fraudsters had a bad day. They went for a billion and they only managed to get 80 million. But when you look at that in the context of what they've done, that was largely successful, I would imagine, from their perspective. But it was the, a billion, it was the billion dollars they were going after, you're right. And it was caught thanks to a diligent Deutsche Bank clerk who picked up a spelling mistake on the account name um, on, on one of the transfers that were being, uh, being pushed through. So the queries that were sent to the bank um, weren't picked up 
because of it being a weekend. And the malware that was that was deployed in the organization deleted incoming Swift messages, which then stopped confirmations that then went to the printer. So when did the bank actually realize what had happened? So the Bangladeshi Central Bank realized this on the Saturday. Um, they noticed Swift messages had stopped. They sent requests asking for payments to be stopped. By at that point, it's a Saturday. That's the weekend for the New York Fed. And the messages that they had sent were sent as normal rather than urgent. So it was just caught up in all the normal correspondence that go through in the SWIFT messaging system. And was RCBC, the recipient bank in the Philippines, not suspicious that all the money was being sent to accounts that had been dormant for months? Well, I think they claim for fair reasons that they had no reason to be suspicious. Um, but let's focus on the facts. They ignored the messages and continued to move the money around. And, and most of it went into Philippine casinos, which according to current laws that are out there are quite lax, and they just didn't have to report large deposits like these. So the hackers compromised the SWIFT payment system, is that correct? Actually, no, and it's really important to explain the differentiation here. So what was compromised was the local environment belonging to the Bank of Bangladesh. What wasn't compromised was the SWIFT network itself. So it was legitimate and also fraudulent messages that originated from the central bank that went through into the SWIFT network. James, this is quite a sensitive question, but do you feel that fault or blame lies in any one particular area or with any one particular organisation? I think that is a tough question to answer. Um, if you look at the facts, it was the central bank of Bangladesh that have lost cash, right? And clearly, that's going to be pain felt across the organisation. And as ever in a situation like this, all parties are going to be pointing towards each other saying, what could you have done differently to avoid the issue happening in the first place? I think if you look at um, the Bangladesh Central Bank, we know that there were some uh, security controls that um, could have perhaps been implemented that may have helped in this process. For sure, that's kind of widely discussed. I think also, if you look at, say, SWIFT off the back of this, this was largely perceived as the moment that helped launch the customer security program. And that we're kind of nearly two years in to this initiative now. And as a result of this cyber fraud that we've been talking through today. The whole of the SWIFT community have to declare that they have improved their security controls across their organization by December of this year. So I think you look at different areas and you can see how the industry is moving on and has adapted. And I think the lesson really is, you know, this could have happened to any bank. Frankly, it was, um, you know, this particular organization may have been identified for certain weaker controls, what, however the fraudsters identified them. But, you know, I think what's important is for all banks to learn the very harsh lesson. Um, and we've seen more and more of this happen ever since. 
Did the Bangladeshi central bank manage to recoup any of the losses as a result of this sophisticated cyber attack? So, no, I think, you know, they've currently been unable to get some of that money back um, from what we're aware of. Um, they are still trying to get around 15 million, which has been left in the casinos, but the rest is, uh, rest is gone. So I, just, I think it just goes to show, you know, with any organisation, irrespective of whether you're a corporate or whether you are a bank or whoever you are, if you are able to lose such a large amount of money, then what are the chances of recovery? You think about the payment landscape that we live in now. It's about immediate payments. It's faster payments in the UK. It's, you know, instant payments elsewhere in the world. But once it's gone, it's gone. So what's important, what's critical from a lessons learned perspective is making sure that you have prevention up front before the money goes out the door, before the money goes into payment networks. Do you think we'll ever see anything similar or even on the same scale as this at some point in the future? I think absolutely we will. Um, Why do I say that? I think that um, we are seeing across the industry the um, action from banks and corporates actually in helping raise their defences when it comes to payment security, but not everywhere. And I think you've got to ask yourself if you're implementing security defences to help protect your money based on a an event from two years ago, are you really staying ahead of the fraudsters? Are you really thinking about the frauds that are likely, you know, your weakest points as an organisation? Are you really thinking about what those are now and implementing the right level of defences that match the frauds that are really emerging in, in today's world. So uh, absolutely, I think we're going to see more. And we have seen more. We've seen more since this um, publicised story of the Bank of Bangladesh. We've seen, you know, at least a dozen stories this year alone. And all of them are above $10 million. I do wonder, actually, whether we're just being desensitised to it. We're seeing, we're seeing them so often, so frequently. The numbers are so big. The frequency is so much. Are, we, are organisations actually taking action? And are there any specific recent examples that you can give us, James? Yeah, absolutely. If you take uh, India's Cosmos Bank, they lost just over $15 million. Very similar... Um, cyber attack, um, not to the same scale as as the story that we've been talking through today, and perhaps not through exactly the same ins into the organisation. But fifteen million dollars is still a large amount of money. And remember, of course, that um, eight months before this reported incident, which is which is fairly recent, um, that Cosmos Bank were were also hit with three fraudulent remittances um, that came up to nearly two million dollars, and that went through the Swift, uh, Swift messaging network. Thanks, James, for your insight into those questions today. So I think all of this begs the question, why are banks and organisations not learning from this and still falling victim to such attacks? It's a good question again. I think uh, the answer is they probably are, but very slowly. And I think it's, you know, everyone's job across the industry, whether you're um, you know, challenge a bank, you're a large 
tier one bank or um, or not. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a corporate, I throw that into the mix. You've got to learn from this. And whilst a lot, I think a lot of the frauds that we've seen geographically, they've been spread in similar areas. That's just because it's the weakest link of the chain today. And what I'm hoping to see is that organizations wake up, they implement the right levels of controls, they implement the right level of leading technology that's going to defend themselves properly, and they provide quality education for their staff to challenge payments that just don't feel right. And frankly, look at the fraudulent attempts that are taking place today, and, th and that is your start point for looking at what your controls need to be. If you're looking at things from a few years ago, you're looking at the wrong start point. So I think this really goes to show that nobody can afford to just sit back and wait to become a victim of cyber fraud. And actually, it's very easy to not recognise those weaknesses and threats until you've actually become hit by something like this. James, thank you very much for your time today. And thank you all for listening to the Payments Podcast. Please be sure to check out some of our other episodes and we'll be seeing you very soon. from Bottom Line Technologies.